This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for December 16th, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. The message is by Father Ron Baird. We come today to the third Sunday of Advent. If you recall, the first Sunday on the bottom right was hope. The second Sunday was preparation. And the third Sunday, which is a pink candle, um, it's actually not pink, it's actually gaudette, from which we get the word gaudy. Um, should tell us something. Um, stands for joy. It's an interesting thing to have joy be the theme for the week after the events of this past week. But I think that the lessons and all actually lend themselves to it. And, and if I can show you how this builds, if you have hope in the coming kingdom of God, if you do believe that there is a God who will bring righteousness and, and perfection to the earth and all of his creation, then you would prepare for it. And if you are prepared for the coming of it, then that in and of itself brings joy. And let me give you an example from everyday life kind of things that we do that isn't nearly as spiritual. How many people here have their Christmas tree up? Did it not bring you joy when you first saw it decorated and lit? Now, if you think about it, that requires all those things. Hope, Christmas is coming, it's a wonderful time of year. Preparation, you got to get the tree and get it decorated and put all the lights on it. And that brings joy. Well, in the same way, our spiritual lives work that way too. And it's not that we so much believe that, the, the, that his kingdom has come in its fullness, because clearly it hasn't. But what does happen is that as we begin to see glimpses of God's sovereign authority breaking in around us, in momentary little ways, then we get that sense of joy, that sense of surety of what is to come. Now, part of the problem why we have trouble with this is because in our society we mix up joy and pleasure. You know, we almost use those words interchangeably, but they're not interchangeable. They're very different things. Pleasure is a feeling that you get from uh, some activity or something that happens that, that gives you a euphoric feeling. You know, in brain chemical terms, it's called an endorphin rush. That's really true. Your brain produces a chemical cause, called endorphins, and, and it makes you feel really good. For all you young people out there, when you fall in love, that's what's happening to you. Don't worry, it goes away. Um, it'll be fine. <laughs> You'll get back to sanity. And then real love breaks in. But that, that wonderful feeling that we get when we get a new car or when we um, you know, have, do great on a test or, or whatever it is, that's pleasure because it's all predicated upon the environment around us, upon the things that have happened to us. And, and it is fleeting. It is transitory. It doesn't last. It only lasts as long as the stimulus to make us feel good is there. And a lot of people are spending a lot of their lives looking for that stimulation because they think that life is just a series of one pleasure after another, after another, after another, in avoidance of pain. That's a sad life because joy is much more meaningful and, and it does something that pleasure can never do. It abides. It remains. It stays. It doesn't go away. Now, it can be overridden temporarily by 
terrible things that happened. I suspect when you heard about what happened in Newtown, Connecticut, you probably weren't feeling terribly joyous at that moment. But the joy that comes from the Lord doesn't abide in our brain, and it isn't dependent upon what is going on. It it is something that resides in our very being, in our soul, in our spirit, and it stays and and as the the wave of the the grief washes over us the joy can come back up again and all too often though we trade out joy for pleasure because we think that they're the same but joy is actually that ability to have an assurance of good in the midst of catastrophe you know, look at it this way. If you're in, in, a, in the ocean and a great big wave is coming at you and you're just standing there, you know, waist deep playing and all, what's going to happen when the wave hits you? It's going to knock you over, isn't it? And all too often, our joy, as we call it, which is really our pleasure, is predicated upon how many waves beat against us. Now, joy knows that there's a way around that. You know what that is? Yeah, go under the water. The way's up there, not down here. And spiritual joy is like that. It knows that life brings hard knocks. It knows that the world is corrupted and fallen. It knows that the world is broken and bad things happen. And when the waves come, we feel the pain, but we don't let it knock us down because we go underneath. We go deep into Christ into ourselves, who lives in us by virtue of our baptism. We realize that that even death itself cannot overcome our joy, cannot take that away from us, because God is greater than all of those things. Now, you may be thinking about Newtown and say, well, how is God greater than what happened last week? Well, for me, it's obvious how God was greater because I experience him. How does Jesus feel about children? I mean, he even gets mad at the disciples. Remember that? You know, let them come to me. For it's people like these that are going to inherit the kingdom of God. What do you think happened when they crossed over into the next life? Who do you think was there? Jesus. Do you think they had pain? No. You know, I have this image in my mind of, 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 of 20 first graders piling into Jesus' arms and him falling over laughing the whole time. You know, what we know for them is that Jesus is joyous and that he would not let this act destroy their life. That he would raise them from the dead and give them new life. Now, that's hard for us who are here because we don't experience that new life. But do we believe it? See, that's what that hope thing is all about, ultimately. Because if we don't believe in that, if we really believe that this life is all that there is, we're in trouble. We're in terrible trouble. Because there isn't any hope. You know, we seem to think that these things that are happening are are somehow or other new and different for us. But if you lived in the Dark Ages, it was actually worse. You didn't call them the Dark Ages for no reason. You were, half the people in Europe died of the plague. 
you know, if you were a peasant, which 90% of the people were, all of my ancestors were peasants. Always like it because, you know, people like a lot of people do genealogy and stuff. And every time I've tried to do that, I run into a roadblock. Peasants don't keep records. <laughs> so I have a proud heritage of Irish potato farmers, you know. <laughs> uh, and so if you were a peasant, though, the, the lord of the manor owned you. He could sell you to another lord if he wanted to. He could come do anything to you he wanted to. If he didn't like you or you said something that crossed him the wrong way, he could kill you immediately. And there would be no penalty for it whatsoever. Illness and disease, death and childbirth were norms. Did any wonder they called it the Dark Ages? It was dark for a reason. But even throughout the Dark Ages, everything wasn't dark. Because the church had hope. Now, I'm not talking about the institution of the church, because sometimes they were as dark as the, as the people having to live in the midst of it. I'm talking about the body of Christ living through the Dark Ages. We even have it in our legends and myths. Anybody know who Friar Tuck is? Yeah, Robin Hood's buddy. Now, what do you know about Friar Tuck? He's fat. He didn't think so. Somebody at 8 o'clock said he liked to eat, he enjoyed his ale, and he liked to drink. What else do you know about his personality? He was jolly. Isn't it interesting that even in our legends, we, we put that, and who's it connected with the church? He was a monk. That the church was a light in the midst of darkness, in the midst of the dark ages, a light of hope in what seemed hopeless. And it was the church that helped the Western world survive the Dark Ages. Now, did they always do it right? No. Was everybody that light? No. But the church, the body of Christ was. And so now we come to our age where we have these experiences of, of a young man going into an elementary school. And, you know, you hear all the things where everybody wants to solve the problem. We should have stricter gun laws. That would solve the problem. Except that apparently um, Connecticut has some of the strictest gun laws in the country. Or somebody said, well, but if you didn't have guns available for people, then they couldn't get to them to use them. And somebody said, well, but what if they used a bomb instead? You know, made a bomb up. And somebody said, well, they should lock down the schools better so they can't get in. Except that that school was locked. He shot his way in. You know, what is the solution? You know, how can we fix it? And you know what's sad about it? Is there is a solution. His name is Jesus Christ. Does anybody believe that if this young man truly had Jesus in his heart, truly had that personal relationship with a living God, that he would go and do that? No. Does anybody believe that Columbine would have happened? that the movie theater in Aurora, Colorado would happen, that the mall in Portland, Oregon would happen? No. And here we are. We have the love of Jesus. And what do we do with it? Well, we keep it. But we don't give it away. Because not, that could never happen to us, right? Nobody's ever going to walk into Olentangy High School or Orange Nobody's ever going to walk into Polaris Mall 
Nobody's ever going to walk into the rave theaters and do these things. Nobody's ever going to come in the doors of our church and do these things. That's somebody else's problem, not ours. That's what all those other people thought too. See, that's why sharing the good news is not an option. It's not for Billy Graham's. It's for all of us. Every single one of us needs to help the world know that there's another way. And that way is to die to yourself and to live for Christ. And that in that way is perfect happiness. But if we don't tell them, how would they know? If we don't share with them, how will they find out? I mean, what's the solution? Do we put our kids in a closet that has, you know, armor all the way around it and have them do their classes on a computer with video conferencing from now on and we never let them out? No. That's not an answer. That's not living. We have to change our culture. We have to change a culture that is becoming increasingly individualized. That a culture that's becoming more and more about me, whoever me may be. And realize, no, it was never about us. It was always about God and his son. And if we want to change these things, if we want to make a difference, then we need to start with the young people who live in our community. You know, there's very little, honestly, we can do for the people in Newtown. You know, I heard one on one of the programs, they asked a pastor, you know, why would God let something like this happen? And he said, well, it's not so much that I think God lets something like this happen, as much as it is that you have to consider the fact that all too often what we do with God is we bring him in after the fact. We forget to bring him in before the fact. Because that's not our problem. It's only after it happened. So how do we, how do you and I begin to reach out to the families and the kids in our own community? There are a lot of kids in Olentangy School District. And you could go beyond that to all of northern Columbus. We know a lot of people combined. But how often do we tell them? about a loving God who can change people's lives, a loving God who can let you know that you are never, ever alone. Because, you see, the one thing that's become clear about this young man was that he was always alone, no matter what. Well, I'm tired of it. I don't know about you all, but how much more of this are we going to do? Or are we just going to accept it's the way we live? It's normal. Well, it's not normal for me. We have to begin to reach out to the young people and the families in our community and help them realize that life is not made up of going to work and making money and paying the bills and trying to eke out some pleasure in between. That real life comes from being the community of Christ of being what it was that you were created to be. And it may not be politically correct, but who cares? I don't care anything about being politically correct. I care about having no more six-year-olds die. It's time that it ended. And you and I 
have the solution. We have that light that can shine in the darkness. And you say, well, what can I do? I can't change the world. Well, no, but if you light one candle in absolute darkness, it doesn't light up everything, but it does light up its immediate area. And if we can pass that light on to another person who will light it, and another and another, then eventually we can light the world. But somebody's got to start. You see, that joy that we talk about is something that Christians aren't often known for. Anybody watch a television evangelist? You know, some of them, some of them are fine. Some of them don't ever seem happy about anything. They, they, they're very clear about what they're against and what they condemn. And unfortunately, too many people don't go to church. Watch them for some reason or other. I've never figured that one out. And so the church becomes known for what it's against, not what it's for. And then there are other TV preachers who are so bubbly all the time, you wonder, do they live in the same planet? Yeah. Because joy is wonderful, but is it real? It's not just some sort of, I'm fine, everything's right with the world, who cares? No, it's, it's, a, it's a, a kind of joy that abides through the difficult times of life. The kinds of things that enable us to stand the storms of life and not lose our joy. One of the fruits of the Spirit, by the way, is joy. Do people know about your Christianity, about your faith? And if they do, would they say, that person has a deep and abiding joy? There's just something about them. Even in the worst circumstances, they bounce back from it. Or do they see you as grumpy, judgmental? Which one do you think Jesus was? You see, we have the answers if we would only use them. Paul kind of sums it up in today's epistle. He says, rejoice in all things. Now, what are we supposed to rejoice in? Oh, would that include bad things? Oh, it does, doesn't it? Now, how can you rejoice in something like what happened this past week? You rejoice because you know it is not the final answer. That kid who went in there with that gun did not win. He lost. Jesus won. Because no matter what that guy wanted to do, Jesus could raise them from the dead and give them life that never ends. Jesus wins. That's where the joy is. It doesn't take away the pain of the moment, but it also keeps it from becoming part of our very soul, part of our very being. And so Paul says, rejoice in all things. Don't let the, the troubles of the world keep beating you down. Come back with the hope and the preparation that he's been telling you about all along. And then he says, make your needs known to God. Offer your petitions to him. But he says, do it a certain way. Did anybody notice what that was? With thankfulness. Even before you get it, be thankful for what you already have. Because if you will do those things, you're going to discover something remarkable. One of my very favorite passages of Scripture. You will find that the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
that peace that passes all understanding. It's not the kind of peace that, that comes, you know, when everything's peaceful. Well, that wouldn't pass understanding. That'd be perfectly understandable. It's the kind of peace that comes when there seems to be no hope. When everything seems to be, you know, so negative that there's no way to surmount the problems of life. And it only comes from one place. And that's Jesus. And the way that we get there is the hope of his sovereign rule over everything that is and the preparing of ourselves for its coming. And will we see it? Ultimately, yes. But even in short little flashes, we will get glimpses of it breaking in all around us. Would you believe that somebody even let me out in traffic the other day on Polaris Parkway? There are miracles, I can tell you, because that never happens. We can make a difference, but not if we don't share our faith. Too many Christians are concerned with keeping the faith and not concerned enough with sharing it. So I want to challenge you this week to look at your life. Do you have that?